God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thanks so much for coming again this week. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world, as you know. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50? That's where we're going to be today. It's the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about beginnings. You know, today we've reached the last chapter in Hasefer Bereshit. Remember? In Hebrew, the book of Genesis, as you would say it in English. In Hebrew, the Hebrew title means the book of beginnings. Ha, the, Sefer, book, Bereshit, beginnings, the book of beginnings. But today we're looking at the very last chapter of the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And I'd like for us to quickly go through this chapter. It's a short one, and I'll read it out loud to you right now, And starting at verse 1. So this. Just grab your Bibles, your phone, wherever you have your Bible stored. Open up to chapter 50. Let's start right now at verse 1. Read along with me. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him and kissed him. Verse 2. And then Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Remember, that was Jacob's name that had, had been changed to Israel by God. Changed it from Jacob to Israel. So that's why it says they embalmed Israel. They embalmed Jacob after he died. Verse 3 then continues, says, Forty days were required for him. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Paro. That's how we say Pharaoh. Be'ivrit, or in Hebrew. He spoke to the household of Paro, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Paro, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying, and in my grave which I have dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Paro, of course, heard what the servants of his household were saying, that they heard Joseph ask them. And verse 6, it says, And Paro said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and he went up with all the servants of Paro, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Verse 8 then continues, As well as all of the house of Joseph, his brothers. Remember, they were there at that time and his father's household, because all of them that had been up in the land of Canaan were now down in Egypt in the land of Goshen. And it says in verse 8, Only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. Verse 9 then continues and says, And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Verse 10, Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. The sadness, the mourning there, you see. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father, 
Joseph did. And then it says in verse 11, And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Etod, they said, This is a very deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, the name was called Abel Mizraim. Mizraim is the Hebrew word for Egypt, which is beyond the Jordan. And so his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. Jacob's sons took their father's body up to Canaan and buried him. And then verse 13 says, For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had, brought, had bought with the, uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. Abraham had bought that back when he and his wife Sarah, uh, when Sarah had died and Abraham needed a place to bury her. So it was the grandfather of Jacob that had actually bought that burial plot and that land in Canaan before, a long time ago. And then in verse 14 he says, And after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who were with him to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, well, maybe Joseph will hate us. Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. Remember, it was them who sold him into slavery into Egypt. But Joseph had already told him, he said, don't worry about that. God used it to save our family. But they were still a little afraid of what was going to happen. So they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Behold, or before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He knew that they were probably just making that up and that their father really didn't say that, but Joseph wasn't uh, going to extract any revenge or anything from them anyway. And then it says in verse 18, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said in verse 9, he said to them, Don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? He knew that revengeance, or vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And Joseph wasn't going to try to take vengeance on them. God would deal with them, but Joseph's job was to have mercy on them and forgive them. When you're merciful on others, God is merciful to you, you see. Then he continues in verse 20 and says, But as for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, spoke kindly of them. He knew they needed some encouragement. They weren't really convinced that he wasn't still angry with them, you see. Then it continues in verse 22, wrapping up this short chapter. It says, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Verse 23, Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, now he's getting close to death, and Joseph said to his brothers in verse 24, I'm dying, 
But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which He swore to Abraham, our grandfather, and to Isaac, our father, and my father, and, 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 and to me, you know. So Ab Abraham was actually the great-grandfather of, of the children of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Joseph is speaking to the brothers which constitute the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's saying, God's going to bring you up out of here and take you back into the land that he swore to Abraham, our grandfather, Isaac, our father, and Jacob, myself, I, my father. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, you may look at this chapter and think that, well, that's the end of the book of Genesis. It's the end. So sad, we're seeing both, we're seeing Jacob, we're seeing Joseph, uh, they're dying in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. It's all just the end. And it's the end of Jacob's story. It's the end of Joseph's story. It's the end of the book of Genesis. But you would be mistaken in thinking that. Here's why. It's not the end. Just like the Hebrew title of the book here says, the book of Genesis, Hasefer Bereshit. Remember the book of beginnings. It's not the book of endings. It's the book of beginnings. This last chapter in the book of Genesis doesn't close the door. It opens a door. It opens a door to the rest of God's Word. And right from the very first verse in the book of Genesis, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You Hebrew speakers know it well. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Right from that very first, it shows you that the journey through God's Word is to be a journey of faith, faith in Him, trusting in what He says in His Word, to believe it. Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't say, here's how He did it. It didn't say, here's when he did it. It didn't say, well, he had to do this and move this over here and do this. And then he went throughout the universe doing this and this. It didn't say any of that. It just says, I did it. And you need to believe that before you get on with the rest of my word. That's what God's saying to everyone today, you see. That it's going to be a journey of faith. And if you can't believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in all of the Bible, you're not going to get anywhere with the rest of the Bible because you've got to believe that God is God. There's a verse in the Scriptures in the New Testament that says, Those who come to God must believe that He is God and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Indeed, the book of beginnings is the beginning of your story as well. Your journey in trusting God with your life daily. Trusting Him to care for you. Trusting Him to protect you. It's the beginning of your testimony, your complete reliance on Him for everything in life. It's the story of your beginning in living a life of believing God. Just as it said in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 where God is speaking of Abraham, and he said, Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him, 
was counted to Abraham as righteousness. You go, well, wait a minute, Pastor Stephen. You know in Israel, all, uh, all the Jewish people here believe in the Sheshmot Shalosh Yisrei Mitzvot, all in the 613 commandments. The do this, the don't do this list, the 613 list of the do's and the don'ts in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah, as we would say, Bivrit, or in Hebrew, right? But yes, but even in the very first book of the Torah, Right in the middle of it, God says, Abraham, the father of all of you, the father of the Jewish people, the father of the Jewish faith, Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Believing God. It's believing God that honors him. It's believing God that brings him glory. You see what I'm saying? Now take a look at the first part of this chapter. Look at the things that Jacob was saying and he was doing. First of all, verse 5, it says he dug his own grave in the, in the land of Canaan. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, he's, he's treating this death thing like it was just another day. He said, oh, I think I'll go out and dig my grave. You never know when, you, when today might be your last day. So I'm just going to go ahead and dig this grave. I don't want to be a trouble to anyone. And, and I want people to understand that I want to be buried in the land that God called me to, the land of Canaan. He did that, and he dug his own grave. He didn't seem worried about death. To Jacob, he had already talked to the Lord. He had met with the Lord early in his life, and God got him out of trouble after trouble after trial after trial. And God showed his faithfulness to Jacob, and he spoke to Jacob. Jacob knew that at the end of this life here, he's just going to be with the Lord. So he's just go ahead and get ready for it all, and he dug his own grave. Now, that was part of his witness to his family. What was he saying? He was saying, look, Look, my children, my sons, look, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, I want you to look and see what I'm doing. I'm digging my own grave. And what I'm trying to say to you is death, passing away from this life, is just as much a part of this life as being born into this life. It's a natural thing. But you can see how I'm just getting ready for it because I'm going to go on and be with the Lord, and that's the real the real everlasting life that I'm excited about. So all of this was a witness to his own family. He showed that death was just a normal part of life. He had met with the Lord. He had spoken to the Lord. He knew the Lord. He knew where he was going. Even as he was dying, he thought of others, tried to encourage them. Jacob wasn't concerned about himself because he knew that God held his life in his hands and he had always taken care of him and been faithful. And Jacob knew that even death could not separate him from his Lord who had the power of life and death in his hands. He had breathed into every living being the breath of life and it was because of God's breath of life in his life that he lived. And the Bible says that God holds all things together by the word of his might. If God were to take his hands off the universe, everything would instantly disintegrate. And where would that leave you, you see? You don't understand how much you depend on God. Not only just to answer your prayers, but for everything around you. 
everything in the whole universe. He is Habore, the creator. That's how we say creator, Bevrit in Hebrew. Ha, the, Bore, creator. Okay, so now we see that Jacob wasn't really concerned about himself. He knew God. To Jacob, passing from this life wasn't the end. It was another beginning. You see what I'm saying? He would be leaving his trials, trading them for everlasting life. He would be trading in his old, beat-up, weakened body. I know a little bit about that at my age. And for a new glorified body, he would be trading it in the kingdom of heaven. And after all, remember that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. We're not talking about the book of endings. We're talking about the book of beginnings. And even though this is the last chapter in the, in the book of Genesis, this is the book that starts the story of God's story. It's the bridge. It's not the end. It's the bridge that carries us over to the rest of the Word of God. Now look at his request to be buried back in the promised land. You see, Jacob never forgot where God had called him and what God had called him to do. He had settled in the promised land, and that was a land that God had promised to his grandfather, Abraham, his father, Yitzchak, Isaac, as you would say in English, and also to himself God had promised this land, specifically to him as well. So he didn't want Egypt to be his final resting place, his final destination on earth. He wanted to obey God's call even after he passed away, you see, for him to be in the land that God had promised him. And by his asking that he would be buried in Canaan, the promised land that was going to become Israel soon after that, his sons and his families would see how important this land and God's promise would be to their own heritage. They would see that that promise of that land and that calling to that land, the land of Canaan, the promised land, they would see that that land and that promise belonged to them also. Just like it did to their father, just like it did to their grandfather, their great-grandfather Jacob, that each of them would have their own callings and their own futures but that they were part of the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Isaac, the descendants of Abraham that God had spoken to each of those men about. They were part of those descendants. And then Jacob spends his last breaths in this earthly body to encourage his sons, demonstrate to them the right way to think about life. Don't be in denial about death. Don't be afraid of death. It's not the end of the road. It's a bridge to a much better place, you see. It's a gateway to a different place. That door is not closing. No, that door is opening. On the other side of that door is things that you can't imagine, things that God has prepared for those that love Him, for those that believe on Him, specifically those who believe on His Messiah, Yeshua. Jacob spends his last earthly breaths encouraging others and showing them how to take this last days of, of his life. You might say he witnessed to the faithfulness and the love of God right up to the end of his earthly existence. And those words, that image of what they saw their father say that day as he brought them into that room and blessed them upon his deathbed, he blessed them. The last days of his earthly existence, those words, that image, those things would stay in the hearts of his sons for all of their lives. They would have spoken volumes to his sons as they were gathered around him. 
that message would stick with them their entire lives and even be passed down to their children and their children's children. And even today, all this time later, we read about the story and we're greatly encouraged. So remember, as we wrap up the book of Genesis, it is, as the Hebrew title of the book says, remember, Be'ivrit in Hebrew, Ha, the Sefer be, um, book, Bereshit, beginnings, the book of beginnings, Ha Sefer Bereshit. And so it's the book of beginnings. It shows the beginning of creation. First chapter in the book of Hebrews show the beginning of light, the beginning of all the forces of physics. And yes, a scientist could look at Genesis 1 and, and see where those forces came to be, where light came to be, the electromagnetic spectrum, where the forces of physics and gravity came to be and the water was hugging to the earth and the land was there and the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky and all of these things exactly the way that Newtonian and classical physics and even quantum physics and quantum electrodynamics go as detailed and technical as you want here. All of those things were created by God. You see, they didn't have to exist before. They also were the rules of creation and when God spoke everything into existence, He also spoke the rules of how it would all work together and the things that would constrain them, things that would hold them together, the things that would push them apart. You know, light pulls on magnetic flux lines, pushing apart things, gravity pulling other things together. And that's why we have the stars drawn together in huge communities of stars with hundreds of billions of stars together in communities of stars called galaxies. That's why we have galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in huge other gatherings and communities of galaxies called superclusters of galaxies. And God spoke all of this into existence and the gravity and the electromagnetic spectrum and the light and all of these things, the strong and the weak nuclear force. I know I'm speaking through the techies out there now and you know what I'm saying. He also created all of that. He created the rules, not just the stuff. He created the rules as well. Not just the things. He created the ways that they would interact together and hold them together. And he can suspend them whenever he wants to. And there's stories in the Bible where he stopped time, even turned time back some. He can do it. He is the creator. Habore, the creator. The book of Genesis shows the beginning of all these things, shows the beginning of the seas, shows the beginnings of the dry land, the beginning of plants, beginning of vegetables, sadly, you see. The beginning of animals and all creatures, the beginning of mankind. The beginning of sin shows the beginning of prophecy about God's plan to save man from sin by the coming of his Mashiach. His Messiah, that's how we say Messiah, be read in Hebrew, Moshiach. His son, Yeshua. It shows the beginning of the spread of wickedness throughout the world in chapter 6 and the coming of the global flood in which God judged mankind's sins because they had become so wicked. Chapter 10 of Genesis showed the beginning of the nations. See, it's a book of beginnings. It shows all these things. 
Chapter 10 showed the beginning of the nations, showed where each of these people from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, where each of them went to settle and how their seed populated that area and how the different cultures and nations of the world developed from them. It shows the beginning of the call of Abraham after that and the prophecies about blessing and salvation that would come through his seed. Remember God had told Abraham, it says, and I will, everyone who blesses you, your seed will be blessed, and everyone who curses you will be cursed. God is blessing the seed of Abraham. That's the nation of Israel. That's the Jewish people. Because it was through them that the Mashiach, the Messiah, would come. And certainly Jesus, now my Jewish brother and sister, if you think about it, I'm not talking about Catholics here. I'm not talking about the statues that Catholics use. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about Mother Mary and all that stuff. I'm talking about the most famous Jewish man, Jewish man, who ever walked this earth. A man whose life split time itself into two parts, before his birth and after his life. A man who is undoubtedly the most famous man who ever walked this earth, a man who did hundreds of thousands, if not millions of miracles, a man who continues to do those miracles even from heaven today. The Son of God came and gave His life for the sins of mankind so that through His atoning sacrifice, all who believe on Him, it's like Passover, they're putting the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorposts of their hearts, and God is saying, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house in judgment. Same way when I see the blood of my son who gave his life for your sins to be forgiven, who is my son here in heaven with me, part of God, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, no. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. God is one and we all believe that together from the Jewish Tanakh. Because that's our Bible. That's our word of God too. Because you have been faithful in keeping it through the years. And now you've handed it down to the rest of the world. And because of your faithfulness in keeping the word, my Jewish brothers and sisters, evangelical Christians, Christians who believe on Jesus, will now have the word of God. And that's really important because the Word of God not only tells them about the story of creation and all of these things and the story of Israel, but it tells us how we can be saved. It tells us how we don't have to worry about death. It tells us that we can have everlasting life by believing on the Son of God, the Messiah, that God sent as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when God sees the blood of His blemish-free Lamb of God, the Son of God, on the doorpost, okay, on the doorpost of our hearts, He will pass over us in judgment, even though we have sinned, even though we have great sins and have many sins, even though our righteous acts could never, ever make up for all the sins, including all the evil and bad and lustful thoughts we've had in our mind. Even though we have all of those sins, the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, the Son of God, will atone for those sins. If you believe on Him whom God has sent, 
that is the only work you need to do. You can try to do it all on your own, the Sheshmot, Shalosh, Esprit, Mitzvot, the 613 commands, you could try to do them all on your own. Let's not, let's not uh, kid each other, shall we? Uh, how successful are you? You can't even remember them all every day. Let's well keep them all every second of every hour of the day of every year of your life. And as soon as you miss one, bop, you're a sinner. And God says sin cannot enter his kingdom. And the soul that sins, it shall die. So yes, we all need God's salvation. And there's not a one of you who are righteous enough to go into the kingdom of heaven. Because God is holy and righteous and perfect. And in his kingdom, sin cannot be allowed. And sin standing before his throne must be destroyed. And when sin is destroyed, it takes you with it. He didn't want that. He created you in his image to be his child. He loves you greatly. And he's shown his love in his Messiah, Jesus. This is beginning of God's prophecies about that Messiah in the book of Genesis where it says the seed of the woman will bruise the seed of uh, our Satan and bruise his head, right? Will crush his head. And so it shows how the serpent, the enemy of God, the devil, will be destroyed by the seed of the woman that the Messiah would be a man. But that no man was qualified to be the Messiah because he Every man had sinned. The Bible says all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God said that he looked throughout the earth two times in the book of Psalms, once in the book of Isaiah. It says he looked to see if there were any that were righteous, any that continually sought after God. And in each of those three verses in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, he says, sadly, he said he found none, no, not one. So then God said, in Isaiah it says, So the Lord himself went forth, and his own arm gained him the victory. In other words, God allowed himself to become a man. Can he do that? He's God. Think about that. <laughs> okay? Made the universe. Of course he can do that. He became a man, just like he did when he became a man and talked with Abraham of Venu, Abraham our father, when the two angels were beside him and he and the two angels came and they were going to destroy the city of Sodom and look and see if all those sins were really as, as it had come up to him and a report of it had come to him in heaven. And so he came down, he talked to Abraham and Abraham called him Lord and he worshiped him and of course God can become a man. He did it in Genesis 18 right there. So those of you who say that God can't become a man, you need to change your theology. Stop trying to change the Word of God. Use the Peshat, the simple and obvious interpretation of Scripture, and just believe what it says. Stop trying to make up your own theology. Believe the Word of God. God can become a man, and He did again when He became the Messiah. And that Messiah's name was Yeshua. That's how we say Jesus, Be'evrit in Hebrew. And now, because he came, we can have peace with God. And we can have that beginning of life, everlasting life. Talking about beginnings. So we see that all of these things began in the Bible in the book of Genesis. The beginning of Abraham. Prophecies about blessing and salvation coming through his seed. In the beginning, Abraham and his descendants owning land in the promised land, right? 
in Machpilah, the place where the burial site was. They were landowners. They were inhabitants. They were citizens of that land, even though he's really a citizen of heaven instead of any land in the world. Abraham actually was a deed owner and had land, a legal right to land in the promised land. For people say he, does, he doesn't belong there, you're mistaken. The Bible says different. And then it says God brought along Isaac. It was the beginning of Isaac, the son of Abraham, when he was 99 years of age and his wife 90 years of age. They had the miracle child, Isaac, against all odds at that age. Are you kidding? Total miracle. The beginning of the miracle child, Isaac, to show that God's not confined to the ways that physics works. God's not confined to the way that man operates. Man would say, oh, well, they're, they're too old to have that child. They can't do that. God says, nonsense. There's nothing impossible with God. And he brought forth Isaac, the miracle child. And from Isaac came Esau and Jacob. And now it was the beginning of Jacob. Now we're seeing the end of Jacob's life. Or shall I say the beginning of the second part of Jacob's life. The beginning of God's plan to save Jacob's seed through Joseph being sold into slavery into Egypt was also spoken about in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. The beginning of Joseph showing mercy to his brothers instead of trying to get revenge. The beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel, all being the sons of Jacob. There they are, Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, right here in Hasefet Bereshit, the book of beginnings. The beginning of the stay in Egypt, listen to this, for the protection from the various warring tribes that were in Canaan until, Egypt, until Israel grew, flourished, and became more in number and learned how to depend on God and trust Him day by day. I want to discuss that for a little bit. Here they were, 70-something people or so, in the land of Canaan, Jacob and all his entourage there, the family and their children, the servants in there that were with him, all of those that belonged to him, to his family, they were there in the land of Canaan. Well, Canaan was a pretty dangerous place. All these different cities, you see, had their own kings. A king wasn't over a nation, really, in the land of Canaan. A king was over a city in those days. And they were always having wars with each other about who gets this land and why you did me wrong and so I'm going to do you wrong. And, and they wanted what each other had and they were always having these wars. Well, it was a city full of people. And here Jacob was with about 70 people and how many out of that 70 could even fight? You see, we don't know. But basically it was a lot smaller than these kings that were over entire cities. God brings them out of there during the famine, uses the famine to bring them down to Egypt where they've got an open invitation where they're well thought of and, and the Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt are very grateful to Joseph for saving them and having the wisdom to store up food in the good years so that they wouldn't perish in the years of famine, you see. And so God brings them down to a friendly place for many years where they grew from those 70 into probably one million or more people many, many years later when they came out in the Exodus and God brought them out because an evil Pharaoh had come to power at that time. So God put them away in a place to incubate them, 
at a place that they would be protected so that they could grow, so that they could flourish, become more in number, so that by the time they eventually got back to Canaan, they'd be able to defend themselves, you see. And along the way, they would learn to trust on God every day for their food, for their defense, everything. But here's the thing you need to notice in all of this that we're talking about today. Throughout all of the book of Genesis, all of this book of beginnings, we see that it all fit together. And God had a wonderful, a beautiful plan in which all of these things that look just like random situations and random things and random circumstances, no, they all work together to bring about the plan that God was making. All of these milestones along the way work together to get the desired result, to get the beautiful picture, you see, that God was painting. And He's not finished yet. He's still working on that masterpiece in your life. And that's what you need to remember today, that no matter how random the events surrounding your life seem to be, no matter how unrelated they may seem to you, remember that God has a calling for you. He's got a plan for your life, a high and noble calling that He has uniquely designed and equipped you for. And everything that you encounter in life, even the things that look bad, even the things that the enemy throws at you to hurt you, everything God will cause it to eventually turn around and bless you instead. And that's the key to having real peace in life. Knowing that God loves you that much and that He gave His own Son to atone for your sins so that you could be with Him forever in His kingdom. When you understand that, everything changes. When you see that, first of all, God loves you greatly, and second of all, that He's all-powerful, then you realize that nothing can stop Him from blessing you. And that everything that happens to you eventually serves His plans to bless you. Everything serves God's plans, you see. When you understand that principle, you have peace that dwells deep down inside of you calming you as you go through life, giving you an enduring joy that the world can never take away, the peace that the passes all understanding, the peace that the world can't take away. No matter what trials you face, it all comes down to trusting God and recognizing His presence with you is all you need. Because He's promised in His Word that He'll never leave you or forsake you. And again, as Genesis 15, 6 says, as we said earlier, Abraham believed God and that was accounted to him as righteousness. You see, it all comes down to believing God. It all comes down to believing the Lord. Now, next week, I'm really excited about this. We're going to begin our unique way of studying the Bible, a way designed to help our Jewish brothers and sisters understand their unique heritage and their role in the beautiful plan of God that He has for them, a very great and wonderful plan that He has for His special treasure, the Jewish people. We're going to be going back and forth, showing God's promises in the Tanakh and the fulfillment of those promises in the New Covenant, the New Covenant, the New Testament. And the beautiful way that both of these work together 
I'm so excited about this way of doing Bible study, going back and forth between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament and showing how they all work together. Because after all, in the book of Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, God Himself spoke of the new covenant. He said, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And by the way, the words He uses in Hebrew there, when I will make a Brit Chadashah. When I make a new covenant with the Jewish people, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, and it will not be like covenant I made with their fathers as I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, but it will be a covenant where I will put my laws in their hearts. They'll know what to do inside. That is the new covenant spoken of in the Tanakh in Jeremiah the prophet. There's one lady that we were talking to in Israel once and my wife mentioned that, showed her that verse there in Jeremiah in a Hebrew Bible. Showed her that verse in Jeremiah where it says God is going to bring a new covenant uh, for the Jewish people. And there it was in black and white right there in the Tanakh in the book of Jeremiah. And we thought that lady would, would look at that and go, well, it's in the Tanakh. It must be true. No, you know what she said? She said, oh, Jeremiah said that? I bet God was really mad with him. <laughs> No, God wasn't mad at Jeremiah for talking about the new covenant. Those were the words that God gave Jeremiah to speak. It's in the Tanakh. Look, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe what the Bible actually says? Or are you going to believe what somebody tells you it says? You can read. God loves you. You were made in the image of God. The book of Genesis says that you and your rabbi were made in the image of God. God made His Word to where you can understand it. You don't need somebody else to tell you what it means. I know you're here listening to me, but everything I say, you search for yourself in the Scriptures. And if it's not right, if I'm not according to the Scripture, and you haven't searched it out, and you see that I'm teaching something wrong, don't even come. But don't just think, well, he's saying stuff that I haven't heard before, so I'm going to get out of here. No, you search it out for yourself. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says and where it tells you that. We're going through the Torah here in the book of Genesis. We're going through it all together. You've heard of the Pishat. Pishat is the Hebrew word that we use for the simple and obvious interpretation. Why is there a Pishat? Because there is a simple and obvious interpretation in Scripture. Why is the Pishat there? Because God does want you you to understand and read His Word. You don't need to have some mystical person, some person with special powers to tell you what it means. You are capable of understanding the Word of God. And that's why throughout the Scriptures, my friend, my brother and sister, God called normal, everyday, even unlikely people to serve Him. Look at the prophets that He called. Were they very educated? Were they very well-to-do? Had they all of, the, all of the good reports from all of the other teachers? No, they were people that no one knew. They were people who were poor, people who didn't have any training, didn't have any knowledge. God called them and filled them with His Spirit. God can use you too. Are you ready? We're going to start this amazing journey through the Bible, working the Tanakh 
and Habrita Chadasha, the New Testament, together. Are you ready? Because if you are, we're going to embark on the most amazing journey known to mankind, the journey through the Word of God. You don't want to miss it. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? You know, if you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from all that darkness that you're in. And He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. It really is that simple. Simply believe. That was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Simply believe. And God will change you when you call on Him. He'll change you into a new person, throw all those past failures away, all that past luggage and baggage you've been carrying around. You'll be made completely new. Given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven with Him. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. I'd like to give you an opportunity today to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord. To believe on Yeshua. To receive God's peace in your own life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. If you want, you can repeat after me. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life, and a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in that heart, in that life of yours. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.